Hello and welcome to today's ResiCast. I'm Andrew Teacher from Blackstock and I'm here with Graeme Chilver from Barclays, Alex Note from Places for People Capital and Richard Jackson from Apache Capital. Um, guys, we're talking about build-to-rent finance and about how the banking system has evolved, how the institutional investment community has has emerged with lots and lots of gold in its pockets to invest in this sector. And Alex Nota, you've been working very closely over the last few years with ULI, with the Commercial Real Estate Finance Council, and obviously in your role at Places for People Capital. You know, you've been one of the, the biggest cheerleaders for, for build-to-rent that, that we've seen in this country. How, how have things changed over the last Last couple of years when it comes to the finances um thank you i think the uh big opportunity here is that you know institutional rental is not new in the uk we had mansion blocks for a long time but you know the rent controls in the 70s and the kind of the thatcher potential were the biggest landlord weren't they about 100 odd years ago absolutely huge and so i think it's not that it's it's completely new but that we fell away from it and as a country we've become kind of obsessed with ownership meanwhile the rest of europe and um certainly north america saw the opportunity to really get into this institutional rental um, product as a way of offering better quality experience for residents who sadly in our industry tend to kind of come last and also to actually have something that drives a really stable long-term return. Um, I think the big um, shift, people used to kind of play with it, particularly in, in downturns, it was something to kind of tinker with until you waited for the market to pick up again. I think the big shift was the Montague review that really pushed about how to um, attract that institutional investment into the market. And what you can see then is that government really getting behind it as a concept that they admitted they weren't going to fund and they didn't really understand. Well, they don't really care, do let's be honest. They, about it. The gov- government are still banging on about ownership at all costs. They're still funding help to buy. They're still... Yeah, and we've got a merry-go-round, what is it, 17 housing ministers in God, however many... 16 years or something it's it's bananas in that sense but there was for that brief moment the the window where they had a prs task force that specifically was looking at how do we catalyze investment into this space and i think that brought with it you know a post-global financial crisis effort where institutional capital was looking for more stability looking for other opportunities and that that little kind of chink there was where the big players and it was certainly led by people like granger and nick Joplin at granger really led that charge to say we can do something different here but and I has think that's this happened though i mean how, so, so how much are, are you seeing the money come into the sector that, that has been heralded absolutely so if you look at the, the projections that the government was saying was they thought there might be about 10 billion of institutional equity in 2010. They were saying that's what we think is around for this product. CBRE's barometer last year had it at something like 27 billion we already 50, committed. We said 50 billion in a report that we published. Yeah, so, with, you know, absolutely it's there. I mean, Graham, you'll know more than me. I think the biggest challenge is that there is that wall of money, but you could frankly give me a, a consented site in all the financing. It's about whether I could actually get the construction and the deal to and stack make up viability-wise. And, and Richard Jackson, Apache Capital is obviously based in the Middle East and London. And you've got a pretty good window onto the uh, into the institutional landscape globally. What are you seeing? I mean, let's be very clear. How much actual appetite is there, and, and how much money is there to, to come into it? And, and, and are, you know, have you been have you been impressed with what you've seen, or has it been has it been a bit depressing? Which of the two? Uh, no, definitely impressed. But I think that your once access to capital expands as your business grows and you increase your track record. So if you're a small business, it's difficult for you to go and raise that institutional sovereign capital that places for people can go and do um, relatively straightforward. So for us, you know, we have. Uh, international capital now outside of the Middle East as well. But we find that different regions have different views on at a, at a simplistic level about the UK and of Brexit. So the Middle East are nervous about Brexit. They were... It, 
deeply unseated when we had the last general election and then we had a, a effective weak government to be able to negotiate with Europe. Um, so there's been very um, substantial macro events that have affected confidence with the investor community. You know, the Americans do not seem bothered by Brexit, but when they are then looking... They've got their own... They've got, They've their, got own their own problems. Well, well, one of our one of our investors said it's going to be a lot easier to invest into the sector now with their election results, get money out of the country. Yes. Um, um, so actually worked in our benefit. So I think there's macro influences that need to be taken into account, and those are viewed differently by different parts of the world, which is not unexpected. But then when you bring it back to the build to rent space, you know, when we first started going to conferences, you know, four or five years ago, there'd be 20, 30 people in there. There'd be no banks, there'd be no developers, be very few investors, lots of professional advisors. And, you know, the PRS task force did a great job. And it was only two years ago that that tipping point was reached where I see you need four constituent parts to, to gain momentum for a sector. You need the developers who will create the product, you need the banks who will lend, the investors that will invest, and the government to support it. And that is now happening. And, and, and Graham, Graham Chilver, Barclays, what's your view? I mean, obviously, you're a global institution. You, you know, you touch at all sorts of different levels with, with the economy. I mean, is this, is this not a really tiny bit of the pie for you guys? No, absolutely not. I think as far as Barclays is concerned, we've had a long uh, track record and uh, a great relationship with the um, the residential sector, generally speaking. So we look after house builders, we look after uh, social housing landlords, we look after developers, uh, PRS, we look after student living, uh, assisted care living, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And and what that does for us is gives us great uh, understanding of the of the markets and how some of these markets have evolved over many years. And PRS is on a journey and, and as, as Alex and Richard have said um, it, we're, we're you know on, 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 on right at the beginning of that journey probably uh, in terms of where we're getting to but um, as, as far as we're concerned it's a great opportunity uh, and we want to be a big part of that. And what are some of the challenges obviously from your perspective when you're underwriting loans you need to be able to compare to other, other assets that have been built other income streams and that is that one of the big challenges you face with Build to Rent is that there isn't necessarily the other product there to be able to compare against? And, and how do you square that circle? Absolutely. It, it, it really all depends on where um, the, the BTR developers are, um, are building uh, and how much stock is in that era, area. A any development lending we do, quite frankly, we are always looking at comparables. And uh, such is the beauty of residential is that you don't often get two exactly the same uh, properties um, and or developments. So that's part of what we have to do in everyday uh, risk assessment. But because, um, of the, because of your heritage in the sector, you're able to be flexible and you're able to take a side-by-side -side approach aren't you we, we try our best i mean certainly we're not going to do every uh, btr uh, deal around but we we've got some as i said some great deals that we've been doing um and we like to think we understand the market to such that we can actually underwrite those risks and i think barclays you know have been underwriting some some major schemes but one of the things to criticize them but it's been important to notice with this sector was that it was actually the kind of the challenger banks and much more kind of alternative newer lenders in the market who really catalyzed the early stages of built to rent because the, the traditional resi lenders couldn't quite get their head around it and actually if you look at you know it's the classic if you build it they will come and it, all the big institutions that are coming particularly from the US markets where they can say you know for nine of the ten years following the global financial crisis multifamily built to rent has been the best consistently best performing return and it's, it's a good point and Richard Jackson one of your big deals in the build to rent space uh, one of your big finance experiences was with PBB Deutsche Fanbrief the the German Fanbrief lender talk us through that I mean that that's that I mean that still remains pretty much the biggest um, transaction of its kind in the UK market 
Uh, I mean, the Deutsche Fan brief uh, as a as a banking partner being absolutely phenomenal. Um, and as you know, Carillion uh, uh, went into liquidation. So Carillion was the, was the main was contract, our main on, contract on Angel Gardens. You know, within two weeks, well, in fact, within 48 hours, you know, we had group board approval from uh, PBB to implement all the measures that we needed to get back on site in two weeks. And that was really and exemplary, exemplary the way you handled that. That really was noticed in the market. Yeah, but it was it was PBB were phenomenal, Moda were phenomenal, Caddo were phenomenal. We had a plan in place. We'd implemented certain measures. But and that, that contingency plan... You'd had that contingency in place for a good six months beforehand. Oh yeah, you? I mean we'd we'd we had done a number of measures, and without boring uh, you today, but they stood us in very good stead, and we had a plan for liquidation administration. We never thought it was going to go to liquidation. We thought it might be good bag bang, bag. Sorry, good bank, bad bank equivalent, and their construction arm, which was was strong, would be okay. But that wasn't the case. But you know, Deutsche Fanbrief have been a great partner. But interesting, if you see the development of the debt markets over the course of the last couple of years, we went to about thirty banks on Angel Gardens, and at the very end, we only had two banking offers, and one of those banks only entered the process with their own approvals halfway through our process. When we now look at, we're just about to close uh, the next loan, uh, which. We, we will announce in due course. We again went to about 30 different banks. Um, we had 24 in the data room. We had 15 offers. And what, you know, what are the challenges? So what, when, you know, when you're looking at, at bringing in debt finance on these schemes and you know, you're, you're seeing it as a bit of a challenge, why is it a challenge? What mm. is it that the lenders can't see that you can obviously see? It's not what the lenders can't see. It's what you were able to get in supporting technical evidence to underwrite the assumptions within the models so that it's what you give can the prove banks is confidence what you're to lend. Why does the liability sit? Where are the warranties? How, is it, how do you do that in a way that mm. is not the same as the way you do it on a for sale scheme? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think, you know, we're building towers, so there's technical challenges within those. But I think we're getting to a point now, we know our building side pretty well um, and our supply chain, our subcontractor supply chain, and we're starting to get economies of scale. So we're getting more comfortable on the technical aspects, but they're still complex buildings. The biggest challenge, without a shadow of a doubt for us, is valuations. And, and Graham, yeah. Graham, Graham Chilver from Barclays, what, what could Richard be doing better to make you lend him more money? Well, I think Richard's just said it. Uh, you know, it, it's around getting more comfortable, more experienced in, in what, what they're doing and therefore being able to, to provide uh, better comps, better understanding to banks. And this is exactly what we, we face with the student market years but ago. But I suppose one of the differences here is that there's, there is, for, uh, certainly for some of the higher end products, such as the, the work and, and the product that Moda and Apache are creating, um, there's a lot, there's a much more uh, focus on, much greater focus on amenity spaces and on other areas that aren't, I suppose, in, in terms of the historic model, direct income produces, income producing pieces of floor space. No, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's a key part of our underwriting, uh, Andrew, and, and that is around income. Because at the end of the day, yes, loan to value is one uh, measure, but, the, the, but banks look to how they're going to get repaid. And uh, rental yields, uh, income streams are, are massively important. Um, and yes, there is, um, you know, there is a reticence within the banking markets to actually, um, you know, look at every, uh, every income stream and, and give full value for some of that, because of course, you just don't know. Yeah, and, and, that's it's, the problem. and it's the processes and the systems that you have in the kind of residential lending space that need to catch up with what's happening in the industry. So as Richard talked about in terms of value Valuation, that reality that you, we know that we can value a commercial building based on the income that it generates, but for kind of historic reasons, we seem to not be able to, to do that in residential. Actually, the RSCS have finally published some guidance that kind of gets us on a step towards doing.
doing that. But it, it's a kind of real clash of, of cultures where you say, I can see in, in kind of intuitively that this should work, but my, my system computer says, no, I cannot get the valuation to You're totally right. I think this is all around the information in the residential sector coming out. And we've, we've never had that. We've no. never had this scenario. You know, I remember talking to, to people within my organisation when we were doing a big funding up in Manchester and Liverpool about funding three, two, three bedroom houses. And what, you know, the, there was blank faces. Well, why would any families rent? Well, well, they do, and then that's the that's the that's the issue. It's yeah. understanding local markets and and what you're but producing. Fu- yeah, fundamentally, it comes down to the fact that there's very little or no completed product um, of that nature until you have comparables. Values look backwards. If there aren't the comparables there, you go around in that slightly ever decreasing circle of trying to underwrite and get people comfortable. A lot of it goes into the education. It also looks at comparable markets from other mature sectors sectors in other in other countries um, but I think that there is a shift now and there is some evidence coming through of rental levels being achieved for purpose-built buildings and presumably Not- Richard a, a lot of what Apache has also been involved with is is quite high-end student housing and presumably yeah. you can port across some of the comparables from those assets, is that possible to do yeah, that? Definitely. It's 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 not just the comparables, it's just the way you approach your development from the branding and the designing and the, the, the from inception through to delivery and that, that experience for the customer and for the student. You know, it is not as sophisticated as the level and the range of amenities and services that we're providing, but the principles that we have done and the way that we operate those assets have very much been applied in how we approach it with Moda. Definitely. And and, and Graham, um, with Barclays, what what's your appetite for, for lending? in this space over the next few years? Uh, very strong. Um, we, we see this, as I said before, as a great opportunity. Um, for, you know, Companies like Apache are, uh, and Places for People are developing uh, in the way they go forward. Um, the sector's becoming far more sophisticated. There's more product coming through. There'll be, there'll be more comparables to actually understand where, where things are working or where things are not working. Um, and, and as I said, I, I, I think I can see this evolving very much in the way that student accommodation did. It took a long time for student accommodation to really kick in um and 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 the and the the movement in that sector has been massive Uh, and i think the overseas equity the overseas investment in student accommodation is something that uh, that builds rent is going to see as well and it gives the investors confidence because they look at student now student has restrictive rights of who you can let to and really you can only hit the beginning of the academic year and if you don't get your full occupancy then you're always going to be catching all or nothing that year. Right. And, yeah. and alex and that's, that's that one, of, one of your bugbears as well isn't is is this is opening up the, the 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 audience which is richard richard's point is that if you're if you're not restricted through a planning uh through planning then you you can rent it to everybody and, and one of your views is that we're a bit more focused on generation rent than we should be aren't we yeah it's always going to be a proportion of it that kind of millennial um you know uh, renter by choice and that's great and that's part of it but actually I, I'm a really big believer in intergenerational renting and actually that it's just people don't behave in line with purely with their age demographic as Graham said families are increasingly renting and should be able to buy a choice as I said earlier 50% of children born now will be only children so our idea of what family housing is in terms of planning policy has not caught up with the reality but also that you know 
those communities, if you ask somebody, you know, the place they'd like to live, an intergenerational community is, is normally the one that they would tend to go for. The fact that in London, something like 80% of people over 80 have no contact with a person under the age of 15 shows that we're increasingly siloing ourselves. Right? And I think build to rent, you know, not to get too kind of social ethical about it, but I think it is about offering those old fashioned communities again. So it's more, more of an Italian approach of, of living with your gran could be uh, could be maybe a, a, a absolutely or well, no later living is the next big thing isn't it but actually yeah. I, I don't know many certainly my parents in their late 60s who have absolutely no intention of going into a retirement community but would they consider an apartment where they don't have to worry about the maintenance on their house and a bit more flexibility and some nice people nearby and some social activities absolutely not now but further down the line it's it, it's common sense but our industry is not terribly yeah. we, good at that I mean I couldn't agree more in terms of that intergenerational uh, properties and we, we look at the buildings we're doing with Moda and in a way that traditional community has been lost because people now are much more mobile they travel they go and live in different cities you don't have that community to the same extent that you used to so there, it is a way of reinvigorating a community I mean we've got um, senior living as well we have a retirement village that we're delivering with Audley and Clapham you know I really like that particular demographic uh, model there's a huge demand for it it's very undersupplied still very challenging to deliver um, but I think there's a place for senior living for student for build to rent co-living different models three four five star you know so long as there's variety provided for customers they can pick and choose whatever they want at any given point in time of their life and, and that's, that's the key thing isn't it graham in terms of your offer uh, as a bank you're obviously much more focused on being being a relationship bank and, and developing long-term partnerships with your customers so for companies like richards that are doing all sorts of different things you you can work with them over the long term and provide all sorts of solutions yeah absolutely and 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 orderly is also one of our clients which is you know gives gives you that feedback as well and we funded various of, of orderly's schemes in in the past and they've shown that that model works very well yeah, um, and and you know they're doing they're doing more in the in the middle range sectors now which i think is is what you what you need and, and yes it, exactly it's it's about us as a bank being close to our clients in all of these sectors. And, and fin- there's one final, final thoughts, point. Alex. Yeah, so that's final thought then on, on what, what, what needs to change now with, with financing. That's totally not what I was going well, no, like, to say. Say what you're going to say. Say what you're going to say. And then we'll... Then we'll, um, then we'll so I say we are the country that has a minister for loneliness and I've just done a kind of bigger speaking to overseas and everyone laughs at that and I said I think it says a lot about our national psyche that we have that and not a minister for happiness but you know we do have a mental health epidemic in, Wouldn't it in be our better if we just had a competent housing. minister for housing well okay let's get into that but my or point any minister for housing. my point is that when people get very cynical and very kind British people don't want all this social space people don't want to know their neighbors they want privacy now it's not about forced fun it's not about if you rent one of these places you have to come and engage in the activities but the option is there and people are crying out for that community for that contact for that engagement and it's about offering it exactly as Richard said it's not one model it's one not one typology but I think if we can start to rebuild that the idea and the opportunity of being part of a community as little or as much as you like I think that has really really important consequences for the social fabric of our country beyond the fact that it's also a really stable and well-performing asset class and I do think it's not something flippant that we're saying is marketing it's it's really really key no, it's a really important point. Um, and we'll definitely hear more about that at this year's Resi Convention, which takes place between the 12th and the 14th of September. But thank you very much to Graham Chilver from Barclays, to Alex Note from Places for People Capital, and to Rissa Jackson from Apache Capital Partners.